Uh, so Matthew chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 5, and we'll be going through verse 15. So follow along with me. And again, I encourage you, have a copy of God's Word open there on your lap um, or, or there on your phone, so that way you can follow along. It just makes it easier uh, for the learning process and the teaching process for me as well. Verse 5, uh, our Savior Jesus uh, said this. He said, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. And then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. We live in a world uh, in which we are, it seems, often we are trying to impress other people. Right? We're trying to uh, put on a, a good show. We're trying to... Uh, make others think well of us. Uh, we are trying to maybe even at times manipulate our reputation there on social media. We want people to uh, think that everything is hunky-dory in our lives, and so we post only the good pictures and we only say good things on those posts. Um, many of us probably dressed up a little bit this morning, didn't we? Because we don't want to come in here looking bad, and so in a sense we kind of want people to think well of us. Uh, I have to remind our children to wear something nice on a Sunday morning, and they take their weekly shower on a Saturday night. <laughs> and uh, once the swimming pool opens up at our house, we won't have to take a weekly shower even, just go jump in the pool. But oftentimes we are, aren't we? We're, we're, trying, to, we're trying to keep our... We, we want people to think well of us. Jesus, uh, Jesus here is helping us, especially in, in chapter 6, and Pastor Andy Sabaka a few weeks ago, uh, he, he preached on the first several verses here of chapter 6, but what Jesus is confronting now in this sermon is he's helping us to see that Jesus is, uh, that God is interested in a sincere faith. He's not interested in a fake facade. Uh, he's not interested in a, the appearance of righteousness. Uh, because we see this, again, you, you look back at verse 1 there in chapter 6, and this is what Jesus said, and he's introducing this section uh, of, of, of helping us to see this is what true righteousness looks like in our lives. And so Jesus there in verse 1, he says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. He says, If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And so Jesus introduces this topic 
uh, there in verse 1, and he, then he gives us three examples of what the true righteousness looks like. It's, it's more or less a hidden righteousness. It's, it's not necessary. We're, we're not to be uh, focused on, a, on, on manicuring a public righteousness. We, uh, the goal is not just to look good in front of people, um, but instead we're reminded that God sees all anyway. And so what Jesus does here in these verses, and, and Pastor Andy preached on this, he talked about uh, our giving, right? That we should not give so that other people commend us for our giving and, and blowing trumpets and, and saying, look at all how much I've given. And this morning, Jesus is going to say what this righteousness looks like, this secret righteousness it looks like. Uh, you'll see it in, in, in your secret prayers, in your prayer life. And then next Sunday, he's going to touch on the topic of, he's, he'll teach on the topic of fasting, Right, Jesus is confronting us in these areas where maybe we have the tendency to want to look good in front of other people, uh, to, to practice an insincere righteousness so that other people will speak well of us. So this is what Jesus is doing. Jesus is confronting the emptiness of a superficial religion. He's confronting the emptiness of a superficial religion. In other words, he is saying, be the same person Monday through Saturday that you are on Sunday morning. So he's helping us to see, he's teaching us on this topic of prayer. And he's teaching us in such a way that he's going to help us to see that, that God's not impressed with our attempts to have showmanship in praying before other people. God's not impressed with that. In fact, Jesus is going to help us to see that, that God's desire is that we would just come to him in a sincere prayer, that we would just have a, a sincere prayer to him, that our prayers don't need to be filled with impressive eloquence. They don't need to be filled with, they, they don't need to be long prayers. God's interest is in sincere prayers. And that's the big idea for this morning, is that we should pray sincerely to your heavenly Father. We should, we should pray sincerely to your or to our heavenly Father. And what, in these verses, we're going to see Jesus is going to give us the right motive for our prayers. And then Jesus is going to give us a model for our prayers. And then Jesus is going to give us the right measure for our prayers. Church, I gave you three M's right in a row. I hope you appreciate that because I worked really hard to come up with all three of those M's. M and M and M, right? So he's going to give us the right motive. He'll give us a model, and then he'll give us a measure for our prayers. So let's look then at the motive for our prayers. We see this in verses 5 through 8. So look there at your copy of God's Word. Jesus, he says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you that they have received their reward in full. Let's go ahead and stop there as we make our way verse by verse through this passage. Jesus begins, and he says, And when you pray, we see that there's an ex expectation that we will pray. Uh, church prayer is our direct communication with God. It's a supernatural way in which we receive God's help. Prayer is a means by which God's grace flows to us. Right? It's, it's, it's an expectation, he says, and when you pray. I think the unfortunate reality 
for some of us is that if, if we were writing it, it might say something like this, and if I pray, rather than and when I pray. And if I pray, because we are, we, we have a tendency to get too busy, don't we? We have the tendency to be too self-reliant. Sometimes, some, sometimes we're just filled with doubt. We wonder, is God listening to my prayers? We fail to discipline ourselves. We, we tell ourselves, tomorrow morning I'm going to get up early and spend time with the Lord in prayer, and yet it never happens, right? Maybe we're frustrated with unanswered prayers. Maybe for one reason or another, God just seems distant to us. Jesus gives us, he gives us this, he really kind of sets the expectation. He says, and when you pray, church, we are to be a a praying people. Pastor Dan reminded us before going into the pastoral prayer that this is to be a, a house of prayer. That's why on the first Wednesday of each month, we as a church gather together for a monthly prayer meeting. And I want to invite you as a church to step into that practice. And I hope even this morning after you hear the teaching of God's word uh, this morning that you'll realize that prayer doesn't have to be as difficult as sometimes we make it out to be. So Jesus says, and when you pray. Maybe even one reason why we fail to pray or we forget to pray or we just don't pray is because we, we don't truly realize the privilege that we have in prayer. That in our prayer, we gain the attention, we have the attention of the God of the universe. We have the attention of the God of the universe that the very God who made all that is, that the very God whose hand is holding it all together this morning, that the very God who, as I stepped out for the first time early this morning and I saw this wren or whatever, this water bird, fly from the quarries across, my, across the road, right across our house, the one who, who made that bird listens to my prayers that we have his attention. Charles Spurgeon said that prayer pulls the rope below and the great bell rings above in the ears of God. That, that prayer is like pulling that rope that is attached to that bell that is ringing in the heavenlies and God is listening. When I was growing up uh, for a short time, my family attended a countryside church uh, called Riley Creek, Pastor Gus Guthrie. Now, isn't that a name, right? Pastor Gus Guthrie. And I I remember Pastor Gus because he would always greet the children. He would always have a a peppermint disc or a butterscotch uh, disc in his hands, and he would always come up to you, and he would act like uh, like he was a magician, pulling it from behind your ear. And I remember Pastor Gus, and I remember going to Riley Creek, and I remember over in one of the corners of this foyer was this thick rope that was attached to the church bell. And as a child, what was my, what was my curiosity wanting to do? <laughs> was ring it, yeah. Go and pull on that rope. But that rope was off limits, Right? Little Bane boys, you better be obedient and don't go pull that rope. Because if you pull that rope, it's going to get the attention of the entire countryside. And that's what prayer is. 
There's that rope hanging in the corner of our lives that we have the privilege and we are encouraged to go and pull on it. Be like those children, those young boys, you know, those young girls in the movies who grab a hold of that rope and they are swinging off of that rope causing that bell to dong, 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 back and forth, back and forth, because prayer, it is our privilege. And Jesus says, and when you pray, that no matter the season of life, even the hectic schedules, the long working hours, the, the craziness of, of raising a family, or maybe the stress of your job, the trials and the temptations, the disappointments and the struggles, the joys and, and the successes in all of it, whatever season of life we are in, Jesus instructs us. Indeed, he expects us to pray. He goes on then. He says, and when you pray, but now he's going to give us some instruction here, and he's going to help us to see what's the right motive. He, he goes on and he says, you must not pray in this way. You must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. Why? That they might be seen by others. So truly I say to you, they have received their reward in full. Don't be like the hypocrites, Jesus says, who pray with wrong motives. We see here the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were praying for the purpose of getting public recognition. So these hypocrites, they would, they would attempt to parade their self-righteousness before others for the eyes of men and women in hopes of receiving public recognition, admiration, admira, admiration, admiration. There you go, thank you. Michael can't speak Spanish, I can hardly speak English. Admiration and accolades for their piety. That's what they wanted. They wanted people to say, look at that person. Listen to how they pray. What a wonderful, what an incredible godly man or woman they must be because you hear their prayers. But Jesus calls them out. He says they were hypocrites. He says Jesus tells us that those who are more concerned about public recognition for their righteousness, Jesus says they've received that reward. People will will commend you for your, your false righteousness, even though they don't realize it's a false righteousness, right? The attention that these, these Pharisees, these teachers of the law were seeking, they're getting this attention, right? When one's prayers are used to impress men, though, Jesus tells us, God rejects it as providing any basis for his approval, right? Do you ever, have, you ever, have you ever found yourself praying in such a way so that other people will be impressed with your prayers? I have. Sometimes we pray for the ears of others and we forget to pray for the ear of God. The short-term admiration of men will end will be the end of their reward, is what Jesus say, is saying. Those who pray for the wrong reasons will not receive a true reward because they lack a true righteousness, is what Jesus is telling us. Right? How can someone be rewarded by the God of the heavens for a righteousness that doesn't even exist in their lives in the first place? So Jesus is helping us to see, he's, he's calling into question our motives when it comes to our prayers. And he, said, he goes on then. He says, but when you pray. All right, so he, he said, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the pagans. Instead, he says, but when you pray, 
Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will then reward you. So Jesus now is providing us direction on on how we should pray. And what he's doing is he's contrasting the public way in which the Pharisees prayed, and he is saying, if you struggle with this, here's the antidote to, to your... Uh, to your attempts to gain public recognition for your prayers. The antidote for that, the the answer, the means to to combat that is to go into your prayer closet and learn how to pray to the God of heaven in secret. When Jesus is telling us to pray in secret, Jesus is not saying that praying in public is wrong. Jesus is not telling us that praying in secret is the only way to pray. We see even in Scripture, Jesus himself even prayed in public. We see all throughout the Bible, godly men and women praying with one another, gathering together to pray with one another. And so this is not, he's not condemning public prayer. He is merely just saying, make sure that your motives are right in public prayer. And the way in which you learn how to to pray publicly for the right motives is first learning how to pray privately. When no one else is around, when no one else can be impressed. Dare I even say, even try to uncheck your own attempt to impress yourself. Many of us at various times in our lives, we're we're, we're tempted to try to impress others when we pray. Whether it's around the table at the family reunion, maybe it's in the prayer circle at your encounter group, maybe it's in front of the congregation on a Sunday morning, pride has a way of weaseling itself into our prayers. So Jesus says, learn to pray in secret. I think it's important for us to to really monitor and evaluate our own prayer lives, even to consider our motives. Some helpful questions for us to consider might be, uh, do I pray more frequently and fervently when I'm alone with God or when I'm before other people, in front of other people? And church, this is, I, y'all, y'all have to understand, every week, I look at myself and I think, how can I preach this sermon? Because it convicts me, hopefully, as, just as much as it convicts you. Another question, do I love the hidden times I have with God in prayer, or do I only enjoy praying when others are around? Another question, what am I thinking about when I'm praying in public? Am I more concerned about talking to my Heavenly Father or am I more concerned about finding the right words and phrases that will impress the people who are listening? Is my public praying the overflow of my private prayers? Jesus then goes on. All right, let's continue on. Jesus then gives us more instruction here on battling and trying to help us establish right motives in our prayers. Prayers, And he says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. All right, so the Gentiles, Jesus, okay, Jesus first, he's referring to hypocrites. Now, he, now he's kind of, he's like hitting everyone here. He says the Gentiles, 
they thought they could impress God with their many words, that God would give them more attention because of their eloquence, that God would bend his ear more in their direction because they had the ability to, to pray long prayers. Church, hear me on this. The strength of our prayers is not dependence on our eloquence. In fact, it's not even dependent on, on, on what we say or what we don't say. The strength of our prayers is dependent on the God to whom we're praying to. So don't think that if you pray longer or harder or louder that somehow God is going, you're going to have God's ear more. The strength of our prayers truly is dependent on the reality that we are children of God. The strength of our prayers is the fact is that we are praying to our heavenly Father. And so the reason why we do not need to put on a performance to gain God's attention is because we already have his attention as his children. Because our heavenly Father is the only audience truly that matters when we pray, we can be confident that he hears us because he loves us, because he is a heavenly Father, that He knows what is best, that He is able to answer, and that He loves us more than we can even love ourselves. Jesus tells us that God knows what we need. Did you catch that there, there at the end, right? God knows what we need long before we ever get around to asking Him. It says it there, verse 8, He says, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need even before you ask Him. Church, God cares for us with such love and concern that he not only knows us deeply, but he knows exactly what we need. You can take comfort in that, can't you? Talk even talking to Margaret Vinsel Friday night at the pancake dinner. Cares and concerns that she has as Cord, her son, is graduating from college. Or not from college, not yet. <laughs> from high school. As, as, as Cord is leaving, and, and, just, and just the weight of that for a mother, and, and hearing that from her, Margaret, your heavenly Father knows your concerns. He knows your needs. He knows the, the, the request that you're going to be praying for him in six months, a year, two years down the road. What comfort is there in that, isn't there? There's great comfort in that. You know, I think of technology today, right? You go to your phone and it's trying to anticipate not your needs, but your wants, isn't it? Right? You start, you, you were talking, maybe you were talking to some friends recently about buying a camping tent and then you go to your phone and it's like, oh, there's a camping tent for sale. How did the phone anticipate that, right? That's not a need, that's a want, isn't it, Right? Technology is trying to constantly anticipate your wants, but we have a heavenly Father who knows exactly what we need. And he'll provide for us. So Jesus is instructing us to watch our motives in our prayers, to make sure that we're praying for the right reasons. So then Jesus goes on and he gives us a model for our prayers gives us a model for our prayers. We see then this in, in verses, starting there in verse 9. And this is the prayer that many of us are familiar with, the Lord's Prayer, that we, how, how we often refer to it. 
So Jesus then, in verse 9, he begins, he says, uh, that verse begins, it says, this then is how you should pray. Here's the wrong way, here's the wrong motives. Now let me help you see how you should pray. I think the fact that Jesus telling us this then is how you should pray is a reminder that praying does not always come naturally to us, that we need this instruction. And so if you are sitting here this morning like me and have seasons of life where you are struggling to pray, take heart. Be encouraged. Because this is for you. This is for me. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. He begins, he says, our Father in heaven, the model for our prayers begins by helping us to know whom we are addressing, our Heavenly Father. Right? We know of people who tell others that they are sending prayers or good vibes or good energy their direction. Right? You'll see people on social media post it like, I'm sending prayers your direction. And I'm like, I don't want you to send prayers my direction. I want you to send prayers the direction of my Heavenly Father and let Him take care of it. I don't need your good energy. I don't need your good vibes. Right? Jesus says, we pray to our Heavenly Father. And do note that the title of Father for God in the Old Testament was only used 14 or 15 times. All right? And referring to God as a Father in the Old Testament was only used 14 or 15 times. And yet here Jesus is introducing to us that we have the privilege to be able to refer to the to the God of the universe as our heavenly father. The introduction of God as a personal heavenly father for these who were listening would have been revolutionary. God referred to as father in the New Testament is all over the New Testament. I think in the Gospel of John, God is even referred to as a heavenly father nearly a hundred times. So Jesus says, we have a heavenly father. We also take note how this prayer recognizes the community of believers, the family of God. All who believe in Jesus Christ have full access to this heavenly father, and we can do so with confidence. We're familiar with Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He's our Heavenly Father. He is my Heavenly Father just as much as He is Judy Ferguson's Heavenly Father, just as much as He is Sharon Reynolds' Heavenly Father, just as much as as He is Jesse Pretty's Heavenly Father. And that we have access to that Heavenly Father to the same capacity. And you can also be certain that our Heavenly Father never tires of listening He never tires of listening to our sincere prayers. And he gives us his full attention. Church, there are some times where we'll be sitting around the dinner table and we'll be having a conversation and I've got like five different voices. Sometimes six different voices if Marin pipes in. Sometimes seven if Nico starts barking. I've got all these voices that are wanting to talk and there are times where I just have, I have to call a timeout and I have to just say, guys, I, I, can't, I, I can't pay attention to all of these conversations. This is impossible for me to be able to do. And so we're going to talk one at a time. Church, in ways that 
are hard for us to understand. Our Heavenly Father is capable of giving every one of us his full and undivided attention all at the same time. There is no waiting line. There's no need, like you went to the DMV or BMV or whatever it is, and take a number and you have to sit there for two hours to wait. You have his attention. Church, what this means is that we never get lost in the crowd. Our needs, our cries for help, never slip through the cracks. We have a Heavenly Father who is listening. God is never late in attending to our hurts. Because we have access to our Heavenly Father, we are not passed over or forgotten. We are heard and understood. Jesus helps us to feel the fatherliness of God as an assurance that God is ready to meet our needs. And so after showing us now how to address, right, he's giving us a model, our Father in heaven, after showing us how to address God in our prayers, Jesus then presents six petitions to us, petitions, requests that many of us are familiar with. Right? And these, these requests are actually divided up into two different sections. The first three requests that we'll see here in the Lord's Prayer have to deal with divine and heavenly requests. These first three requests are, are oriented toward God. Then the second three requests deal with the human and the earthly element. They are oriented toward human needs and relationships. The first three requests, which we'll see, are hallowed be your name, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We see it there. These first three requests call attention to God's greatness, while the second three requests, which is give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. These second requests then call attention to our needs. What's interesting is that those second three requests, actually all of these requests, are based on God's promises that he's already given to us. It's interesting how the Lord's Prayer even reflects the breakdown of the Ten Commandments, where the first half of the Ten Commandments have to deal with God, the second half of the Ten Commandments have to deal with our relationships with others. I think you could even say that there's a reflection here of the Lord's Prayer, as when Jesus is, is asked, what are, what are the great, what's the greatest commandment? And what, is, what does Jesus say? Love God and what? Love other people. We see this reflection here, these echoes. So we look then at these first three requests of these divine requests that deal with the heavenlies where, where Jesus says, hallowed be your name. This is a request where we, are, where we are going to the Lord and we are saying, Father, we pray that your name would be hallowed, that it would be set apart as holy. That other request of the divine request, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These requests, what these requests do is they acknowledge God's sovereign rule. They acknowledge our submission to what God is doing 
in the world. This portion of the prayer is setting our hearts on what is eternal. Now, how often do you jump right into prayer with your laundry list of needs, your laundry list of wants, even your, laundry, your, your file folder full of complaints about life without ever recognizing the eternal? Do you ever find yourself neglecting to acknowledge the divine, the eternal nature of God? To say, hallowed be your name, we're asking, <clears throat> we're praying that the Lord's name would be honored and glorified above all other things. The heavens do declare the glory of God, and so should we. We should long for God's name to be set apart, for it to be holy, for it to be exalted. When we pray, hallowed be your name, we are praying that all of creation would revere and worship the Lord. Jesus continues, then he says, and this second request, the second petition is your kingdom come. Church, this is a longing of the citizens of God to have a longing for God's eternal kingdom. It's, it's a request that we, where we are saying that we long to see the kingdom of God fill the earth. We long to see the kingship of Christ our King and that Jesus would indeed be honored and acknowledged and that all our friends and family, our neighbors, our co-workers, that all of them would come to a point to where they would submit and trust in his rule and his authority. Church, to pray for God's kingdom to come. And, and again, we sang it earlier. I've read it already. And even in your own life, you've read this and you've recited it. And sometimes we just do it out of habit. Sometimes it is more, nothing more than babbling. But to pray for God's kingdom to come is, you know what it is? It's, it's the shout of a battle cry. It's the shout of the battle cry to the heavenlies. Because church, there's only two kingdoms in this world. God's kingdom and the kingdom of the evil one. The kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of truth and the kingdom of lies. And so when we utter these words, your kingdom come, what we are asking is for the Lord to overthrow the kingdom of this world. And this prayer also anticipates the day when King Jesus will one day return in all of his glory to eternally sit on his glorious throne. So let's not say your kingdom come without truly knowing what we are saying what we're asking. And then Jesus goes on and he says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a prayer of submission to the Lord where we are asking God to do whatever he must. We're saying, God, would you do whatever you must do in our lives and in the world so that your good and your perfect will will be carried out? Ultimately, the will of the Father is that, is that he would be glorified so when we say your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what you're saying is, God, help me to abandon my will. Help my will to line up with your will. And Father, wherever my will doesn't line up with your will, help me to repent and to turn from that and to live in submission to your will. 
So these first, in this model, this, these first requests have to deal with the divine, with the heavenly, with the nature of who God is. And then Jesus, then he, he moves on into the human realm, right? The, the relational realm. Look there in verse 11 where Jesus, where Jesus says, pray in this way. And again, this is, not, this, is not, this is a model for prayer. This is not the only prayer. This is a model for prayer that should help prompt our prayers. So then in verse 11, Jesus helps us to see that it is okay, it is right, it is, it is good for us to pray about our own personal needs and the needs of other people. So Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. Again, we consider this. The first set of three requests deal with the eternal. The second set deal with the everyday. You might be able to say it in that way. Again, if you take notes in your Bible, that might even be something helpful to write alongside. The eternal requests, the everyday requests. The eternal God of the universe is concerned about the everyday lives of his people. Did you know that? We see that there's evidence here that God is concerned about your everyday life. In fact, the everyday lives of God's people are marching in unison with the coming of his kingdom. Your everyday life matters to God. And so take your request to the Lord. Jesus says this. He says, give us this day what? Our daily bread. Jesus is telling us that, that we depend on God for our daily needs. This is a heart of humility and faith, where we are taught in these verses to depend on God for the supply of our daily needs, what we need for this day. We're reminded that God, rarely does God give us strength and provision long in advance of us needing it, right? We, we have the tendency to worry about problems in the future that haven't even come up yet. Do you ever struggle with that? Do you ever struggle with worrying about things that haven't even happened yet? We understand that God graciously supplies our daily needs. He supplies for our needs one day at a time. We, we, we need... We need to stop trying to, to carry the burdens of tomorrow and instead trust and rely in God's daily provision for today. So what this prayer does, when it says, give us this day our daily bread, this, this prayer helps us to not be anxious about tomorrow's provision. Instead, it helps us to just simply be confident in God's provision today. He goes on and he says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We should confess in our prayers that we indeed are sinners and that we need daily grants of pardon and forgiveness. I think we need to especially remember this part of the Lord's Prayer because we have the tendency to be very self-righteous and self-justifying, don't we? But Jesus helps us to see that part of our prayer should be regular confession. That's why we encourage you, before you participate in the Lord's table, 
to take time to confess your sins. Maybe you've neglected to confess your sins all the rest of the week, but hopefully communion forces your hand in that to take a look at your life and to confess your sin, to forgive our debts. And how also in the same way in which we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. Take note that if if you are praying this prayer while harboring unforgiveness toward another person, then you are asking the Lord not to forgive you. Right? If, if, if you are saying, Lord, right, forgive me my debts as I have forgiven those who have sinned against me, and if you've failed to sin against them, basically, essentially you're saying, Lord, don't forgive me because <laughs> I've, not, I've not been forgiving other people. And then Jesus says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is kind of an interesting section of prayer because some of us, we, we know and we are confident that God does not tempt us. God certainly does not lead us into sin. God does not try to trick us into sinning. What Jesus is helping us to see is that we, in our prayers, should be asking the Lord to help us steer clear of times and situations where we will be met with strong temptation, with any temptation. We're saying here, Lord, keep me away from situations of destructive temptation. In in essence, keep me from following my sinful desires. I was reminded, and this came to mind, Michael, as, as... uh, you were leading us there in Psalm 23, and I was reminded of uh, where, where the good shepherd uh, guides us with his rod and his staff. And what came to mind as we were reading that, and what came to mind here, is the rod. Uh, the rod of the shepherd that, that guides and directs the sheep. And how this prayer right here, and lead us not into temptation, what what we are asking our Heavenly Father to do is to use that rod to keep me from temptation. So here's a a real life illustration, which most of them are. This happened just tonight, and this just came to me as we were singing. So I'll work through it real time, all right? Last night... Uh, the twins were helping me move the sheep to another pasture. I was trying to be a good shepherd and lead the sheep to greener pastures. The problem is it's in one of our neighbor's pastures, and I'm sure all of our neighbors think I'm crazy. And they might be right. And, and we are, so the twins are sitting on the tailgate of the truck. They've got the bucket of grain and uh, we open up the gate, and the sheep know the routine, and so we're driving the truck with the twins on the tailgate, holding the, the grain, which the sheep will follow you off a cliff if you have a, if you have a bucket of grain. And, and so the sheep are following, and, they're, and we're driving down the lane, and the twins are there, and the sheep are just going down there. And then, they, and then we get them into the pasture. The problem is, is that there's a large gap in the fence row of this pasture that I... Me, me thinking I knew what I was doing, I thought, well, the sheep can graze while we fix this hole in the fence row. And so what, I'll do, what we did is I assigned one of the twins the duty of being the guard of that fence row. 
And I said, you stand there and make sure these sheep don't pass through into temptation. I didn't use those words, but that's where we're going with this. And he's trying to do it on his own, and we've got some big sheep, and the twins aren't quite, they're, they're still able, they're, they're not quite able to muscle around uh, our ram. And, and I said, okay, so I went and got a big stick, and I gave it to him, and I told him, I said, you remember in the Bible how it talks about how we have a rod, that, that the good shepherd has a rod and a staff. I said, buddy, I said, this is the rod, and if they start coming toward you, hit them. And in a loving way, hit them. <laughs> and, and, and he was like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. You know, I picked the most sensitive animal loving one to do this job. I don't know if I can do this. I said, seriously, just give him a good clock. And so he's successful at it, right? He's, he's not allowing them to be led into temptation, right? He's keeping them over there. And then, then little merit man, he got distracted. And so he comes to show Anders and I something. And um, the sheep got spooked. And they were all the way on the other side of the field. And they got spooked. And they went running for the only place where they knew they could get through that fence row. And that was that gap that Merritt was supposed to be standing guard against. But he was over here showing us the rod that he had whittled and removed all the bark from. And those sheep ran through that hole. And I'm like down the row, and I, I saw them charging. They were just coming across the pasture with just on a line and no, there was no one there to keep them out of temptation. There was no one there to swing the rod at them. And they just shot right through that hole. That's a long illustration, but it's funny. It's cute. But I think it helps us to see that in this prayer, when we say, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, what we're asking our Heavenly Father to do is to stand guard on our hearts and to swing that rod believing that the pain that that rod brings to me pales in comparison to the pain of that sin. And lead us not into temptation. Church, oh, I hope we're praying this. Uh, we could preach a whole sermon, and maybe I should have just on that one line. I hope we are praying that for our own hearts and for one another because the gaps in our lives are wide. And the opportunity for sin and temptation is so prevalent and is so accessible. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so Jesus gives us this model for our prayers here. He says, this is what prayer should look like in your lives. 
And then the third point is the measure for our prayers. The measure for our prayers. Verses 14 and 15, I, I kind of, I was wrestling through here. But verses 14, it says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. It seems here that Jesus is helping us to test the sincerity of our prayers by whether or not we are willing to forgive others who have hurt us. Again, the measure for our prayers Am I praying in a way that honors the Lord? What it seems Jesus very well could be saying is the answer to that question, am I praying with sincerity? The answer lies in my willingness to obey God by forgiving others. If a a child comes to you as a parent and tells you all of these good things, and tells you how much they love them, how much they love you, and how much they adore you, and how they'll they 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 they'll always love you, and la di da da da, and they have all of these great, wonderful things to you, but yet they turn around, walk away from you, and and disobey your commands. Then what that should do is that should cause you to question the sincerity of their words. Jesus said, if you obey me, or if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And what are we instructed to do? To forgive others. See, the lip service that we might try to provide God in our prayers is worthless if in our lives we're not willing to obey Him. To obey Him at the starting gate of forgiving others. So the measure for our prayers, the, sincer- the test for our prayers, again, the big idea is, is pray sincerely to our Father. The sincerity of our prayers, the seriousness, the truthfulness of our prayers if, is, is tested there. And whether or not I'm willing to forgive those. How? In the same way that God has forgiven me. The motive for our prayers, the model for our prayers, the measure for our prayers. And when we question whether or not God has forgiven us or how we should forgive others. The example is indeed displayed for us on the cross, isn't it? 